That kind of segues well into my next thing I'd like to address there this morning before we get started. <clears throat> that uh, I, I feel the lateness of the hour. I don't know about you. I, I feel it. And who, are, who I am and what I do of late. <laughs> and my plan is always to do as I have done <laughs> here at church. Like I thought I'd just be bivocational. But for a year now, I, I cut out Fridays at work because I need more time to do things, you know, to prepare for church and to work on projects that I had in mind for the church. So I cut back to 30 hours at work, and uh, it wasn't enough. It's not enough. So last week, I finally, after a lot of prompting from my wife, uh, some interesting walks on our trail. We have a little trail we're going around, and she was accused me of being David. Are you being David? I'm like, what are you talking about when I'm being David? She goes, should you be in the battle and you're staying home where it's soft and easy? Should you be on the front lines more? Are you taking it easy? Are you going to get in trouble because you're not where you're supposed to be? So I called Joel looking for support, and he just jumped on board, and he said, is there not a cause? I'll take up what David says. Is there not a cause? Is there something for you to do? So last week I surrendered to God's call in my life to go full time. And so uh, I've had some uh, good confirmations. I met with a... I think as the Bible would have me do, I met with a council last week, some dear people here, and it seemed to be confirmed, and that was very encouraging to me to have that call confirmed. Um, I, I just feel like I should produce more at church, and that church should do more. I think the hour's late, and uh, it was said in that meeting that I think we've done a good job to Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth, but we need to focus more on our Jerusalem, you know, and our, our congregation and our community, let people know who we are and let them know that the gospel message is proclaimed here and proclaim that message. Um, we, we have an outreach that's been growing. Our, our sermon audio is doing great. We have over 16,000 audio plays from our little church around the world, 39 different countries reached. The number one country downloading our message is Singapore, which is bizarre. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe it's an anomaly uh, because they think I sound funny. I don't know. But the UK and Germany, some of the you know, other English-speaking countries are ones I understand English do. But you also get as bizarre as these countries like Zimbabwe, Lithuania, Luxembourg, Lesotho. I had to look it up. I thought it was made up. It's a little country in South Africa. So it's pretty neat to think of the impact that we're having, you know, that um, the things that we do here, you know, that don't just get stuck here after Sunday morning or the ones that we're here hearing it, you know, with our broadcasting that goes out. And those are 24 hours a day, seven days a week. All the messages that we have on there continue to, to go out and to be proclaimed. Um, unbeknownst to you, I've been working on a podcast, that a, a series that I'm wanting to put out. I've got three in the can. Uh, that means three done. I'm using the lingo. I've got three, three to three done. And it's a video podcast, but it's one you can listen to, but it'd probably be better if you watched as well. But it's, they're, they're short, like eight minutes long. And um, once I get four, uh, I, I'm going to release them, and I hope that will be this week. I hope to release those and then try to get one a week out. And um, it's called It's Later Than You Think, and so you can guess the topic matter. It's, it's me. So, <laughs> but I hope to get those out and, and to try to get, answer some questions that people have and to wake some people up to the feeling that it is late. Um, I have things that I need to write, that I've tried to write, that I've started to write. I've got a whole bunch of half-written stuff on just on things to help me here in the ministry and to help you, like uh, books on baptism and a new believer uh, booklet and things on witnessing and Bible studies and handouts for lessons. I've got a whole bunch of my illustrated lessons where I've started them but not been able to finish because Wednesday came around too fast or whatever time did and I didn't get them done. 
So it's frustrating to have things that I know that I can do and put out there that I think will help and be a ready resource for you. So when you get those questions from somebody that you can send them that link or give them that paper or send that email or whatever to. And so I want to try to help inform you and keep you better. And so, uh, but right now I just don't have the time to do it. And so um, uh, I need to be available to you more. I feel frustrated, I know I must frustrate some of you sometimes, like why didn't he do this, or why can't I have more time talking to him here or there, it's like I hope to make myself more available uh, to have a, a cl closer walk with you as individuals and as families. Uh, I think we need to do more as a church. A lot of times where we've been limited on that is because you can't just say, hey, we're going to do this, and then everybody shows up and it gets done. It takes planning, it takes forethought, it takes effort to do, and that takes time and energy, and so we need to do more outreach. We need to do more evangelism, and we know we have a big one coming up with the eclipse. We have the magician that's coming up, and I need to get into the schools and talk to them, and so I want to do that. I have plans to help missionaries. I have some that I've been in talks with already, some stuff that I think we can do as a church to really help get the gospel into their countries and, and some ideas that are there, and they seem excited about it, and I, and I use the illustration of I played golf. I've never really enjoyed golf. <laughs> About three holes is fun. I'm like, hey, this is pretty fun. And then it's long and slow. If you're going to play 18 holes of golf, that's, that's a day. And I, after three holes, I'm like, I got things to do. <laughs> this is frustrating. Can I throw the ball and kick it in faster? I mean, this, this is just wasting my time. And so uh, that's how I feel in general lately. Like I'm, I'm wasting my time at other things when I should be busy about the master's business. And so... I guess I'm tired of feeling frustrated. <laughs> so I, I feel like I have I'm a fire hydrant that has a little tiny nozzle on there. <laughs> I got a lot of one come out, but it's all restricted at the end. And so I don't want to burn bridges at work, so pray that that meeting goes well. I've got to email into the boss to, to talk to him about it. And so um, I've got 40 years in there next summer, one company. 40 years of experience and uh, time and responsibilities that, uh, yeah. Pray that that goes well. Like I said, I want to keep that avenue open. I think in printing terms, you know, we use printed stuff here, and so I want to make sure I keep all that open. But the next steps are being taken. Uh, so please play for Elaine and I. This is a scary thing. I, I, like I said, I've done that job for 40 years. and Any kind of change is scary, and so it, it, it's scary to step out and trust God. It is. You know, I'm practicing what I preach here. You know, and so... Um, um, and it's always scary because you never know what God's going to ask of you. In 1994, I took the first steps to surrender to God's call. I knew God was calling on my life in 1994. I knew he had more than me than just being the Sunday school teacher that I was at the time and others. I knew that God was drawing me towards something. I didn't know exactly what. I had ideas in my mind. In the year 2000, I surrendered to the call to preach. That's when it kind of got more solidified. I, and I thought, if you were going to ask me, oh, why, what's God called you to? I'm going to be an evangelist. I'm going to travel around the country and stir things up and leave. Uh, <laughs> so, and, I, and I really thought that. I thought, I think I can communicate. I thought it was going to be. We went and looked at RVs and trucks. And, you know, I thought, well, you know, we'll get things in place. We're going to go that way. And then um, I did pulpit supply. I filled in a lot of churches. Uh, when the pastor would be away. I filled in here for a year. Uh, on Wednesday nights, uh, the, uh, the pastor Steve that was here, uh, he, he couldn't be here on Wednesdays for some reason, and so uh, I had Wednesday night meetings here at the church. Sometimes there might only been six or seven of us around a folding table right there in the back inside the door, 
but it was, it was a fun time. We got to know Cornerstone better. Then they gave me a call one year and said, the pastor's leaving. Could you preach for three months uh, while we form a pulpit committee and we start searching and, and try to find a pastor? And I'm like, yeah, I, I can do that. So at the end of those three months, they're like, what about you? <laughs> and I'm like, because I can remember the first month people being like, why don't you put your name in? I'm like, nah, I think I, that's not what I'm called. I ain't going to be an evangelist. And God knows I'm bullheaded. So, so three months of serving Three months with people that I got to know over a year. Hey, you made, you made them more than that. That uh, I think you need to be their pastor. And when they they ask, and by that three months, I'm like, why 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 wouldn't I? Why shouldn't I? And so I surrendered to that, and, and, that, and that was exciting. And that was scary. <laughs> All that responsibility, and and, and uh, yeah. So that was 2007, and so. I thought I'd continue like that, but times have changed. I, I think it's the fourth quarter, right? And then the things are pressured us to be on. We, we can't just be coasting. And so I think God's tug on me has changed. It's, it's been, it, it's weird when you say like God's call in your life. And what's it like to be called to preach? Because I've had people, I, I sat down before I got the call to preach. And I was going to do that. We'd have missionaries come in and our family would take them out to Dairy Queen afterwards. Because Brian was going to pick their brain. <laughs> how did you know that you were going to go around being an evangelist? How, how did you know that it, you know, and it's not just a career, it's a call. You know, it's not like I went to vocational school and I'm going to learn to be a preacher. You know, it's like, yeah, how did you know that God called? I think some people do that. I think that's wrong. I think it should be a call. <clears throat> so, uh, and I would ask them. And I've had people call me now, like, how did you know? And I, what was it like? And I'm like, it's generally been with frustration. Uh, early on, I thought I was going to be a Christian songwriter, and I wrote Christian songs. I had them out there, sang one on a couple of them on TV. It's terrifying, <laughs> but, uh, but I did, and embarrassing. If I could find the tapes, I'd hide them from you, but, uh, but uh, <laughs> I wore all green. I know that, uh, but it, I, I was not a singer, but, but I did that, but I got frustrated with trying to convey the truth that I was wanting to portray in, th- uh, portray in three minutes. It's like, yeah, that's, that's pretty limited, you know, to get that truth out there, so I that, that's what gave me the nudge to be a Sunday school teacher. Oh, I think he has, I have more to say. So I began teaching Sunday school, and I did nursing homes, and I was just anywhere that they could use me, I would step up and I would help them, and I would preach and patch the pirate and youth group stuff and, and revivals. and It was just that same feel, that frustration. Like, yeah, you got more, and you don't have enough to do it. And so he, he called me to more. And so it's been a weight off my shoulders since I, I, I met with, with some people uh, this Thursday. Uh, it's a weight off my shoulders to say yes to God again, a burden that was there that had been building that my wife saw way before that I saw, and that was kind of how it was the other times as well. There's something that's aggravating you. There's something that's frustrating you. What, what is it? And so um, I say I hope to be an example to you as far as then surrendering to what God calls you to. Say yes when he pulls you in a direction and God wants you to do more, to say something, to speak up. To let you know it's okay to be scared, <laughs> but God's trustworthy, and trust Him. And so, please pray for me and for us as a church, as a whole, uh, as the next steps come into line to see if this can happen and how it's going to go. And as I talk to my boss, and I just sent an email to him, email to him that I want to meet this evening or some some evening this week, and I'm sure that's kind of like, well, what this is about. And so, <laughs> so pray for that. I sure appreciate it, and I'm pretty excited about what God's going to do here.
and the things we can do as a church. And, uh, and I appreciate and I covet the prayers that you have for me. So I truly do for Elaine and I, because it's, like I said, it's scary to give up comfort that I've had for 40 years, you know, to, to do something different. And so uh, thank you for uh, letting me serve here and uh, making this request and um, pray about the decisions that are made. And so I sure appreciate it. Sure appreciate it. Let's go open with a word of prayer and we'll get into a shortened version of today's message. <laughs> so, uh, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time we've had. And, and Lord, I thank you for the call you put on my life. And Lord, I thank you for uh, helping me open my eyes and quit be stubborn and not and to surrender to your call. And Lord, I thank you for the confirmations I've gotten from this congregation, Lord, from family members and from uh, others as well. And Lord, just uh, making it clear and obvious. And Lord, I just pray that as I step out in faith, Lord, that uh, uh, you would use us. And Lord, that I'd be a good steward of my time. Lord, that we would do things as a church, Lord, in our community here to be an outreach to take the gospel out, that we can be an encouragement to other ministries, Lord, that we can come alongside and support them and encourage them as well. And Lord, and, uh, that I'd be able to help our congregation as the world changes and needs change. And Lord, that I'd be more available uh, to them. And Lord, I just pray that you would just help to free my mind up to be able to study and to put these things into action that you've laid on my heart before, and Lord, to be able to finish them. And Lord, I just pray that you would just use us and Lord, that we would continue to be a, a fluid tool in your hand, not only me, Lord, but as a congregation, as a church here at Cornerstone, Lord, that we would be the biggest little church in Johnson County, Lord, that we would continue to put forth the gospel, and Lord, to surrender to your call. Lord, I, I thank you uh, for loving us. I thank you for not leaving us comfortable where we are and calling us to more. And I, Lord, I call on your strength uh, to help us to be able to do so. Just pray to be with your text as we open it here this morning. May you be glorified through it, and may we learn. In your son Jesus' name we pray, amen. Message 2, Romans 9. So far, Paul's told us about our security in Christianity. That's where we left off in chapter 8. <clears throat> the first seven chapters, he got us good and lost, proving that we do not deserve salvation, that we cannot earn salvation. It is a free gift given to us by Jesus Christ, purchased on the cross. And that the church is primarily made up of Gentiles. He's kind of made that address. He's talking to Jews in that first half as well, and in chapter 2 primarily. And the church's recent history, its current history as it is right now, but it was recent history in Paul's day. Israel was still a nation at that time. They hadn't been dispersed yet. But the church and the book of Acts you know, had all been called out, and it was transforming the world. And the church is how he's moving and working in the world today. But God's first actions, or God's first, he first chose Israel. That was how he was first going to work. They, as a nation, were to proclaim the message. It was through them that he was going to give God's word, you know, that he, he gave God's word. It's through them that Messiah would come, you know, and so they were the ones to be the caretakers. They're the ones to be the proclaimers. They are the ones to, to send forth the message. They repeatedly failed. They disobeyed to the point where God has to take them out of the land that he had promised them for 70 years, sends them into Babylon. They returned, and he sends Messiah, the answer to their prayers, the things that they have been requesting and asking for, looking for since the Garden of Eden. He sends Messiah, and as a nation, they reject him. Crucify him, release to us Barabbas. We have no master, we serve Caesar. 
And so in 70 AD, it hasn't happened yet in the writing here of Romans, but 70 AD, he disperses them. He takes them out of the land again and sends them, scatters them across the earth. So then the question comes, is God done with Israel? Short answer is no. <laughs> but the long answer is the next couple of chapters in Romans where, where Paul goes through and starts saying, no, God's not done with Israel. Um, two weeks ago when I was speaking, we did verses 1 through 3, and it was pretty much showing that Paul is a patriot, a true patriot, how he truly said he would give up his salvation for his nation. You know, not, not only would he die for his countrymen, he said he would forfeit his salvation so that his country wouldn't be saved. That's what he says in verse 3. For I could wish that myself were a curse from God for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He said he would give up his salvation for them. He really wanted to reach them. But God said, no, you're going to be the preacher to the Gentiles. Matter of fact, a lot of times when he would try to go and preach to the Jews, it didn't end up very good for him. And so he finally surrenders to that call. But here he has a chance to at least address the issue. So like I said, verse 3 says, For I could wish myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So that's who he's talking about. He's talking about Paul's brethren as we go into verse 4. He's talking about Paul's kinsmen according to the flesh. So who are Paul's kinsmen according to the flesh? Verse 4, who are Israelites, the nation of Israel. To whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the services of God and the promises. He's going to give us some history here on who the Israelites are. It's pretty cool history. I mean, our history is pretty cool. When you think about our founding fathers and the things that made us who we are and where we are, part of that is 9-11 has made us who we are today, you know, the attacks on American soil and bloody battles that have been fought here. Fortunately, we've been spared a lot, civil war being the worst, but most battles have been fought elsewhere. But it's, we have a pretty cool history you know, when we talk about our founding fathers, I think that's why they're under attack so much. That's why we're pulling down statues and everything. You can't understand your foundation because a lot of it's surrounded around God as well. But here he talks about Israel's. He says, to whom pertaineth the adoption? The Israelites, they have the adoption that is pertaining to them. Now, we talk about adoption here a lot, but um, adoption here is a little bit different. Um, this is a true son. A lot of times we think of a, a, an adoption as somebody who's not born in your family, adopted in. And, and the Bible talks about that and accounts for that, and that's usually how we look at it. This one's a little bit different in their culture and how in which it worked. It would be a, a, you know, a son of the man within the family, but he wasn't of age yet. And they called it when the son came of age, they would adopt him, and then he got full rights you know, to the family in this sense. And so he got all the family privileges. And so when the son was younger... A son within the family was more like a hired servant, you know, someone who worked in the family, someone like Alice in the Brady Bunch. You know, she, she wasn't a member, but she had some of the benefits of the family. A lot of times she could tell the kids, you can't do this, you can't do that, you're going to eat this. You know, they, she had more authority over Greg and Marcia and Cindy and all of them for, just to use good Brady for, you know, illustrations. And so, you know, but uh, she had power over them, but when they got old enough, you know, then Greg would start his own house. And so that's kind of how this was. They were in the family, but they had limited access because they're a kid. Uh, they had limited power because they're a kid. You know, a higher service was in a, uh, a servant was in a higher position than they were. But when they became an age, 
they had a ceremony, and they were considered adopted, and then, then they were given full access to the family. They had access to the family businesses, they had one, access to the family wealth, you know, if they needed it. They had full power to draw and to spend money. They had uh, the ability to make deals within the community and to do all that. You know, you had like uh, James and John, you know, being part of Zebedee's business, you know, in, in, the, in the Bible. And so that's what he's talking about here, that, yeah, they were sons, but the promise was, one day they'd be adopted, they'd be at the full sonship that they should have, it was promised to them. So Israel was to be adopted into God's family, that was his plan. Verse 4 continues on, pertaineth the adoption and the glory. <clears throat> the glory here is re referring to, referencing the Shekinah glory of God, or the cloud. This is the note I made off the side of my Bible, it's uh, uh, the cloud, you have to think about that cloud. When I think of it, I think of it primarily being over the Ark of the Covenant right above the mercy seat between the cherubims, the Shekinah glory of God as it glowed in there. And I usually think of it in the context where the priest would have to go in that one day, how terrifying that had to be to stand there and representing the nation, you know, putting the blood as it was supposed to go. But the high priest got to go and do that one time, one day, for a brief instant. He promised them, I'm going to bring you into a cl close proximity in the cloud. You can come in next to me. You're going to be in that. This is a promise that Israel had. You're going to be in this close proximity, the, in the place of God. You know, you're going to be there. That's called a place of blessedness. If you're within the middle of, uh, in the presence of God, you know, to see God's face, may God shine upon you as a blessing, or part of the erratic blessing. And so it's a risen state. It's a personal excellency. Uh, um, a, to be a person belonging to God. That's what he promised them with this glory that he's talking about. It's part of the promise made to Israelites. Uh, that they would not only be adopted, but they would be in the glory. And it says, and the covenants. Israel has covenants that was made to them. God made promises to Israel. The size of the nation, how big it would be, the benefits that they would have. He was their God and they were his people. You know, the protections that he would give, the blessings that he would pour out upon them. You know, um, the borderlands, how big it would be, the honors and all the different things, deals that God had made with them that he said that he would keep and that he would honor and that he made, you know, especially like Abraham when he makes the... Abrahamic covenant, he's, he's asleep in this deal, so it's all on God. Abraham doesn't have to do anything to uphold this bargain. It's all on God, so he's going to keep those promises and covenants. Israel is a part of that. Those covenants are upon them, those who are descendants of Abraham. And it goes on, it says, in the covenants and the giving of the law. The law was given through the nation of Israel. God's word was given to the nation of Israel. God's promises, God's laws, how to live right, was in their language. You know, that was given unto them. You know, it was right there in the... Levant, they call it, you know, right there that they would have it, how to live right, how to be right, how to, how to be healthy. God gives all these rules um, to please God, how to please God, how to approach God, how to stay in fellowship with God, how to avoid the wrath of God. You know, God gives all this through the laws and through uh, the writings of the Old Testament. They had that, and they were caretakers of it. When we study it today, we, we read it and <clears throat> take it back into Hebrew, and we read it, <clears throat> excuse me, of... Um, of their culture and what they were doing, what the words mean, and that helps explain the things that Jesus said in the Old Testament. They understand all that. That's why the teachings of Jonathan Kahn, you know, as a modern-day um, Messianic rabbi, when he teaches and starts explaining things as Jews sees it, they see things different than we do. And so it usually opens up and, and gives us new insight. And so he says he made all these promises with them that they would have that through these covenants. But he continues on and he says, And the service of God. Service of God and promises. So part of what the Israelites had was they served God. They had the priesthood. You, know, you couldn't be a 
Hoosier, <laughs> and then you know from Indiana, you know, and what's my lineage? Uh, mutt, mostly. You know, we kind of can trace it back, you know, through some lines, but it's, it's kind of hard to say, you know, how, how our lines all go. But they had specific lines, you know, they had to be of the tribe of Levi, and uh, that, you know, and they had their courses, and they had the service of that. They were the priests. They were the ones who would perform uh, the rituals and the things. They were the ones who did the sacrifice. They did the service to God. They did it on behalf of humanity. You would go and you would meet with the priest and he would intercede and he would take it in and offer the burnt sacrifice. He would come back and then you would eat part of it with him. He would fellowship with you. It's all pointing towards Christ, you know, that priesthood is there, but that was them, that they made these sacrifices and offerings and intercessions. It's through Israel that they had this, and you'd have to come in, and they would call you a proselyte if you got adopted into this and tried to be adopted into it. And they had a court of Gentiles you could be in, but you couldn't get very close because you weren't Jewish, let alone you couldn't get into the temple, especially the Holy of Holies, unless you were a Levite, unless you were the high priest, and, you know, that was a limited thing. It was through them, through their line, no other country, through them. So God chose one place to meet on earth, one place where you can approach him, one path that you could go to be right with him, and it was all through them, all through them. One group would fulfill all the promises that he made to him as well. He makes that promise. Think of that as your nation, you know, being who you are, that God had made all this through you. You can see why Paul is the patriot that he is. But he continues on, verse 5. Verse 5 says, Whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God bless forever, amen. And so, whose are the fathers? He talks about their founding fathers. He's like, think of the heritage they have and the people that made them who they are. That they would have the line of David. That we go back to the line of Jacob. It goes back to the line of Isaac. It goes back to Abraham himself, and whom was called out and chosen by God to make this nation. That that's your heritage. That you're related, that's your blood, that you're, you're related to these guys. And this line is more than just a family tree of the chosen. This line is a chosen generation because it's the one through whom all the world will be blessed. It was through this line, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David, through the Davidic line, as it gets down to the Messianic line, you know, where Jesus comes, that's what he says in verse 5, Whose are the fathers, and of whom concerning the flesh Christ came? You know, he comes through this line. Think of how they are, that they are of the heritage in which Christ came. And who is over all, God bless forever, amen, that Jesus Christ Messiah comes through their line. Man, there is something to be cool about, to be, to be boasting in. It's like, man, Christ came from our bloodline. You know, he was made of man, sure, but he was made a Jewish man. You know, and so that was cool to have that heritage linked there. And so... Christ came, such potential that this group had. That's what Paul is trying to build up. Think of everything, all the promises that are there to them. Such honor, such failure. But God chooses them to do this, and then they drop the ball repeatedly. Again and again and again. So now we live in the church age where God uses Gentiles. It's, he goes, I'll, I'll use a nation that's not a nation to provoke you to jealousy, and I'll let them do these jobs and these services that you're supposed to be doing. So we're the ones that take the gospel around the word. We're the one that protects God's word. We're the one that intercedes on behalf of man. We don't need the priesthood anymore, but I tell people you can go directly to God now because Jesus Christ has torn away that middle wall, that partition. You can repent and trust and go right to him, and now you can pray directly through him. You don't have to meet in the temple. You don't have to travel to Israel. You don't have to go through a priest. You can stop right now. We can pray and be in the presence of God and take it there. And so we proclaim that message. 
We are the ones who are adopted into God's family. He takes us as strangers and foreigners and adopts us in in the way that we think about it, that makes us in and gives us access to everything. He draws us close to God. We're within that cloud. We're in that presence. Matter of fact, we get married to Christ. We're considered the bride of Christ. He has promises that he's made to us too. You know, we have new promises, new covenants, and things that are given to us. So that leaves you to ask the question then, as most people would, did God fail? He chooses them and they drop, is this... Did he fail? Verse 6 answers, he goes, Not as though uh, uh, the word of God has taken none effect, is the King James way of saying it, but basically, has God failed? Because you know, God's promise, he made all these promises, and it didn't work, so did God fail? And he says, had taken none effect. Has God failed? And he continues on, For they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. So Paul reminds us that. He says, not all of them are who they think they are. Israel means uh, he shall be a prince of God. As he calls out Jacob and he gives him this name, you know, after he wrestles with him, he changes his name. He said, he shall be a prince of God. So that's the promise they have as a people, as a nation. We shall be princes you know, of God. You, know, you and I get that. He calls us to be kings and, and, and uh, princes and uh, judges as well and priests. Israel also means God prevails. God prevails in their life. God won. You know, he's won wrestling with Jacob and he won. You know, and so... Uh, I think a lot of times we think about it with Abraham or with Jacob wrestling with the uh, angel of the Lord or pre-incarnate Christ, you know, that maybe Jacob had him in a maneuver, but it wasn't. It was God had him in a mover and was holding him and he said, you must uh, surrender. And he finally does. And that's when he puts the, makes his hip work wrong, you know, because they see him walking later and they're like, it kind of looks like dad coming. Why is he limping? He's like, yeah. Uh, God put a reminder in me not to wrestle with God anymore. I didn't want that happening. I walked bad enough. I got a bad back, and so I surrendered to God's call, lest he move my hip. <laughs> but uh, uh, but uh, not everybody called Israel. Not everybody born in the family line of the Israelis. God doesn't prevail in their lives. Not all of them are going to be a prince you know, in, in this promise. Um, they're not going to have, they don't have God prevailing in their life. I guess the best way to kind of summarize this verse, that not all uh, Israel uh, which are, are not all they that are of Israel are of Israel, would be to use our statement that we would use in the church today. Not everybody who claims to be a Christian is a Christian. That's what Paul's saying. And we're, you know, we say that often. Not everybody who claims to be uh, a Christian is a Christian. You know, they might say they are, uh, but then when you kind of judge the fruit and all, and so, but that's not true. Satan perverts everything. You know? He perverts the church, as much as he did then, he wanted Israel to think, oh, you're born in the line, you're a son of Abraham, you don't do anything else. You know, you just got it by a birthright. Today we have people, you know, you ask them, you're like, are you a Christian? They're like, well, yeah, my grandpa was a preacher. Well, your grandpa being a preacher has nothing to do with whether you're a Christian or not. You know, if you're born in a Christian nation, it has nothing to do with you being a Christian or not. It's a personal relationship. It is, have you repented of your sins and trusted Christ as your Savior? Same thing for them. Had they repented of their sins and trusted that Messiah would come and save them? Some of them had. Some of them hadn't. Most of them hadn't. They just thought, mm, I'm good. You know, I'm an Israelite. I don't do anything. A lot of people think, oh, grandpa was a Christian. My mom was a Christian. All my family members are Christian. I guess I'm good. And they just go on living their life, never considering anything. So no. They had a family line, a chosen line. Verse 7. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham, as they are all children, but as in Isaac thy seed shall be called. And so he starts giving some examples. He goes, um, I want to put things out to you to let you know that not everyone who's just born in this family is children of the promise. Because Abraham had two sons. 
He had Ishmael, and then he had Isaac, because he did one in the flesh, right? He didn't trust. He said, God said, I'm going to send one through Sarah. And he's like, oh, Sarah's old. I'm old. And, and uh, it hadn't happened yet. And so he takes the handmaiden, you know, and has Ishmael. He's actually the oldest and the firstborn. But God said, no, it's through Sarah. And so it's Isaac that it comes through. And so he's making that example for us. Um, the, the seed is called through there, verse 8. That is, they which are children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the, for the seed. Verse 9. For this is the word of the promise, at that time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. Verse 10, and not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for their children not being yet born, neither having done any good or evil, the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It is said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. So in that whole thing, you know, it's like there's going to be two born, the first one born is going to be Esau, and he says, no, that's not going to be the one I'm going to choose. That's not going to be the line. That's the logical line. That's the line that men would use. He goes, I'm going to use Jacob, <coughs> the old heel grabber. You know, I'm going to use him, you know, and I'm going to choose him. And he said, so I'm, he's making a call. He's making a decision. It's not like how we think. It's not both of them. It's going to be as he chooses. And so he gives this example in history. He's shown us through Ishmael and Isaac and through Esau and Jacob. Uh, and so... And that leads us to verse 13, everyone's favorite verse. And it says, uh, and it was written, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. Yeah, I wish I talked longer and we could have skipped that verse this morning. But uh, I did not. And so uh, many of the, uh, the translator would take hatred here and not use it as you and I would use hatred. They would say love less. And if you do look at Esau's life, he had a blessed life. I mean, he became a mighty nation. He had huge armies and lands and possessions, and it seemed like God did him awful good. But he sold his birthright, you know, so he gives it over to Jacob, you know, and gives it to him. And so uh, he's not the chosen line. You know, he's going to go through Jacob. Uh, they say a woman once came up to Charles Spurgeon, you know, the prince of preachers, and said, I, can understand, I cannot understand why God should say that he hated Esau. And Spurgeon's answer was, that's not my difficulty, the difficulty madam. Because my trouble is understanding how God could love Jacob. Because if you know Jacob, he was a, he was a scoundrel. You know, he was a cheater. Uh, he did things under the table. You know, he was not. And he's like, that's the bigger question here. Is not that he hated one of them, that it's that he loved one, loved Jacob. Now that's the harder part. And so that's when we go through the the line, and we're thinking that God chose Jacob, gives us some 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 comfort. Oh, he can use Jacob. He can use me. You know, I'm not lied and cheated and stolen like he has. Verse 14 says. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. Like, no. Verse 15. For he saith unto Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. It's God's stuff, right? It's God's people. I pick who I pick. I choose who I choose. God can use anyone, even the most unlikely. His ways are not our ways. These are things we have to comfort ourselves in our mind. But he makes salvation available. It's a true statement. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not willing that any should perish, you know, that they would come to Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I think those are all true statements. Salvation is out there, and yet some people respond and some people don't. Some people answer the call. Some people don't. You're responsible for how you reply. You have free will. It's a dangerous thing that God gives us because God calls all men to be saved. How do we reply to that call? I hope you reply wisely. You need to always surrender what God's calling us to do. Is God tugging at your heart to be saved? 
Is there an uncomfortable feeling that is there that you need to take care of? Is God knocking on your door saying, you need to say yes to me? You need to realize that you're not Lord and God over your life, that I should be Lord and God over your life? You have to surrender. You need a Savior. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't do enough good works. You can't uh, try to bend my arm and bribe me into letting you into heaven. It takes coming my way through his son, Jesus Christ, through his death, burial, and resurrection. That's how we have access to God, through the death of another. But we have to humbly ask for it. We have to bow and ask him to. God is offering us to take a hold of amazing gift where you'll get salvation full and free, where you get adopted and brought into God's family, access to what he has, and he owns a cattle on a thousand hills, that you get brought into that glory, that cloud, that close proximity, that you have access to now and, and be partaker of these covenants that he's given, that you get to be protectors and proclaimers of God's word. What an honor to have that be given and betrothed unto us to do, that we become a child of God, that we are adopted into his family by Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us, so we but surrender and ask him to save us, forgive us our sins, and bring us into his family. He says he will do it. He says he will do it. So is God calling? Is God moving closer? I'd encourage you to answer yes. Is God maybe tapping on your heart to surrender something to him? To move in the direction that he wants you to move? It's catching in the community here. <laughs> you did that with me. Is he calling on anything on any of you to do so? I would say quit wrestling. Start surrendering, truly asking, what would you have me do so I might serve you all the more? And take a step of faith. I'd like some company. Right? <laughs> so, but no, join us together in that. But primarily, I worry if you're not here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, that you'd repent and trust in him. It's free and available and that we could be grafted into God's family. <clears throat> and so uh, we, we get all these benefits that they shifted off. But he's not done with, the, done with uh, uh, Israel. Uh, and so Paul's got a couple more chapters. He's going to go into that, how he's not done. But he's using the church now. And so now it's our time. It's our time to do these things. We want to make sure that we're faithful and obedient in doing it.